Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. When it comes to different developmental stages, most parents appreciate toddler tantrums. There's a lot of info out there about how to help our smallest humans understand their big emotions. But what about when the toddler's growing up? What about when they're four, five or six? Because while they may not be as frequent as when they were two, children still have tantrums. They still have big emotions that come out in fits of rage that can be challenging for parents to handle. Of course, I'm not speaking from personal experience at all. <laughs> Karen Young is a child and adolescent therapist and founder of Hey Sigmund. Hi, Karen. How are you? Hello, I'm well. Thank you for having me. This is a great topic. You know, I was when I was putting this together, I thought, I think I've spoken to Karen about this before. And I, I do think <laughs> it's probably an ongoing challenge in my house. Um, is it fair to expect that tantrums will be less frequent as children go older? Look, it can be, but then something happens during adolescence and they can all come back again. So it's not unusual. <laughs> so we need to buckle up because the part of the brain that actually manages big feelings in boys, they're saying now it won't be properly developed until they're closer to 30. And in girls, um, it's, I know it's early to early to mid twenties. So they're going to have tantrums. And the thing about those big feelings is, they're not going to learn to manage big feelings unless we let them have big feelings. So it's okay. And the, the thing to remember is it's not a reflection on them. It's not a reflection on our parenting. It's, it's part of what happens. Some kids will tantrum more than others just because of how they're, how they're built, how they're wired. And that's okay. You know, big feelings, big thinkers. So my eldest is a girl and it's, I find it, exceptionally challenging in the sense that I would never call her a drama queen, but by God, it's what it feels like. You know, she'll have a fight with a younger brother about sharing the bed and she'll turn around and say, it makes me happy to be in the bed on my own. And if you want me to share with my brother, you don't want me to be happy. And I am lost for words. I'm, I just, like, what, what are you watching on television to even respond that way, for starters? But um, it, it is such a confronting thing to see because words like bossy or emotional or hysterical, or, uh, these are words I am not allowing into my vocabulary. And yet when it's in your face, you're like, well, what else is this? What is going on, Karen? Absolutely. And it really is. And the thing is, it feels like that. And we have to remember for every big, big feeling and, and, and the energy that comes with that, there's something really valid going on underneath. So it might seem like it's an argument over sharing my air and they shouldn't be breathing near me and something silly like that but there's actually something underneath it and with kids it might be something like a need for parent influence they're just exhausted they're sick of sharing because they've been sharing all day they've had to be calm and and keep themselves to themselves and and listen and pay attention all day and it's exhausting and they're safe now so they can let it all hang out 
it might be that they just need more time with you. They might need food. They might need sleep. There's always something um, going on. And you have to remember with kids, they don't, their brains aren't at a point yet where they can connect the words to the emotion. So they can't always say what they're feeling. And this will, this will develop as they get older. But then during adolescence, they're driven by the feeling brain again. So we see it all over again. And that's how it's meant to be. And it feels big as a parent when it happens, even if it only happens, you know, we had a house where it happened several times a day sometimes. But even if, even if you are in a house where it only happens, you know, once or twice a month, it still feels big when it happens. Yeah, because it, it is one of those things where you go straight to, what have I done wrong? The first thing I thought was, I really didn't give you enough boundaries, did I? <laughs> like, you know, I, this sense that if you think you can talk to me like that, there, I've done something wrong. Um, but yeah. are you saying that it's more about where their brains are at in processing emotions than any yeah. kind of discipline? Like... Yeah, absolutely. And of course, we need to put a structure around the things they do and remind them of, of what's acceptable and, and what's not acceptable. So we need boundaries. But that has to actually come in calm times. The work happens in calm times because in the midst of an argument, and you imagine for you, if, you've, if you're feeling fury because you've had a terrible day or whatever, and you come in and someone wants to put boundaries around you and talk to you about calm, rational behaviour, you know how you feel. <laughs> it's not going to land. <laughs> what you need is someone to go, you look like you've had a terrible day. Do you want to talk about it? Do you need a hand? Do you need a cuddle? And you might not, and it's, it's what they need. And then afterwards is where we do the work. And that's where we say, what happened then? Things are a bit upside down. How can, how can you put it right? Do you need my help? What's a better plan for next time? How can we stop this getting out of control again? Now, just because someone tells you how to swing a racket doesn't mean you're going to go and win Wimbledon next time you go out to play. It takes time to develop. It takes a long time. So this is a conversation we're going to have lots and lots and lots because it takes time for their brain to wire and for that self-control part at the front of the brain. Um, that doesn't even really come online even. It's not even ready till um, six, seven, eight years old. And it takes a long, long time to develop. So it, it's co the conversation that happens when they're calm and, and, and leaving space for it to happen because every time they're throwing a tantrum and we are available and present, helping them come back to calm, we're strengthening that pathway. It's like um, I shouldn't compare it to lifting weights. The work happens in that stretch, in, in that painful stretch, and there has to be lots and lots and lots of that. That's, that's where it happens. The work with tantrums and teaching self-control happen in the pain between the big feeling and the coming back. And, of course, we have to say, you know, uh, so we make space for the feeling and go, I can see how angry you are at me. You're furious. I get it. I would be too. It's all annoying having to share sometimes. I get that. I don't have to share all the time either. And you can't talk like that. And I'm not going to let you hit or I'm not going to let you throw a book or I'm not going to let you do something. That's not okay. Um, and then you're with them. When calm happens, then we do the work. And there's no hurry. And I think there's a lot of pressure on us, especially if a tantrum happens publicly, to be seen to be responding and doing something because you get the judges. And, and are you just going to let your kid do that? Is that the type of mum you are? Yeah, that's the type of mum I am because this is not the time to do it. It will happen afterwards. 
Um, because in the midst of a tantrum, the thinking part of the brain that can actually hear anything rational, you say it's gone, it's not there. So all we have to do is ride the wave, keep everybody safe, ride the wave, and the work happens afterwards. And sometimes that just means... Um, you know, staying close enough so they can see you. They might say, I hate you, go away, I don't want you near me. You go, okay, well, I'm right here when you're ready to talk. And then we have the conversation about, you know, it's not okay to talk to me like that. And can I tell you something? They know. They know it's not okay to talk to you like that. And often they will, whether um, they admit it or not, will hate that they spoke to you like that because they're good kids. Tantrums are not about bad kids. And we've done the work. We're doing the work, teaching them the values. And it takes time. So if we go back to that moment you were saying there that we, um, it's that process of helping them come back to calm, how do we do that? I think you probably gave us a few clues there, but could you give us some tips yeah. on when they're in that heightened state of emotion where they say, I just want to break something, and you're thinking, please don't break something, yeah. but they're yeah. that... They can't handle it. So how yeah. do we help them in that moment? So ideally, and I want to say this is ideally, because we are human too and we will not be able to do it every time and sometimes we will lose our minds and say things we wish we didn't. That's normal and it's going to happen and that's okay. That won't break them. But ideally, um, and we only need to do it enough times, we don't need to do it every time. Ideally, first of all, we validate what we're feeling. So they need exactly what we, we need. First of all, they need someone to notice what's going on I know you're really angry and not in a kind of an overcome zen way because that can be a bit invalidating if someone come if you were really angry and someone would came into you and went I know I know you're angry it would just be annoying so we match it with the energy but not with the anger so it might be I can see how upset you are I get it I, I know you are um, do you need my help do you want to come and sit with me physical um, proximity touch calms um calms an emotional brain um and sometimes it's just about being still and present close enough to them and letting the storm ride its way out and it is like a storm when there's a storm you ride it out you don't talk a storm out of being a storm you don't push against it because you can't do anything about it you make sure everything's safe you batten down and you wait for it to pass because the work happens afterwards. So the big thing is validating. Um, do you want to come for a walk with me? Do you want to hold my hand? Do you want to sit with me? I know this is feeling horrible for you right now. And then after it's done, we say it must have felt horrible for you to feel that upset. And it won't always happen like that, I want to say. But ideally, that's what we do. We ride it out and do the work afterwards when, we, when, when they're calm. And that big emotion, it, do, it doesn't last. It feels like it lasts forever, but it, it doesn't. They will come off it eventually, as we all do, if we give that. it the same yeah. Because when you were saying that, I'm, I'm thinking of all the times my kids have had tantrums before we, when we're getting ready in the morning. And I know when it starts, I'm like, we are going to be late today because there is no, um, would you say that those kind of emotions, you just, you just can't hurry them along. Like you just, really it, as, as frustrating as it is and as much as you want to shut it down, mm. um, how would you advise we respond if they're getting a bit pointed about their tantrum? So this wasn't anything that happened when my children were three or four, but getting up towards five, six, seven, when they get more language, I can only imagine what it's like to have a teenager, but yeah. when it's very accusatory. So 
it's one of the things I've said before is I don't talk to you like that. So can you please not speak to me like that? Yes, you do. You talk to me like that. And you know, I'm, I'm all up for admitting when I'm wrong, but that is one place that I do not speak like yeah. that to my kids. So sometimes the language, it astounds me how articulate they can be with their anger and of course, yeah. it terrifies me to think they're not even teenagers yet. So yeah. how do we respond as a parent when their language seems to indicate they want us to engage on that topic? So if we can, if we can find the need underneath the language. So when they say, um, you think you can control me, or you always want to control me, or you don't care if I'm happy or not, that says something around, um, I want you to notice me. I want you to see me. Um, I want to have some control right now. I want you to notice that I'm actually different to you. And if we can respond to that and, and say, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. You feel like when I come in and clamp down on something that's important to you, I'm getting in your way. I get that. That's, I, I know how annoying that is. I get it. And you let it, and, and then you just let it unfold as it needs to because in that moment you cannot have a rational conversation you cannot have a rational conversation a thinking conversation with a brain that is in high emotion so you take it you catch it and you feed it back and go yeah I get it and sometimes you won't even know what the need is because the need might actually be for a big sleep but they're making it about how you always try and control every single thing that they do and you will never, ever let them grow up ever and you just want them to stay, you know, under your control forever. But really, they just need to sleep. So we acknowledge what they say. I get it. You're feeling like I'm controlling you. And you don't need to do anything with it. So we get drawn into the argument, but we don't need to do anything with it at the moment. We just need to catch it and let them know that we've caught it because Sometimes what's coming out of their mouth doesn't make sense. And then when everything's calm, we say, I'm wondering what was going on for you then. It sounded like, or um, it's not okay for you to talk to me like that. I want to be able to talk to you. If it's big anger, big fury, big words, big screaming, um, one of the things we can say is, you know, I want to understand you. I want to understand what's going on. I can't talk to you when you're yelling at me. I can't talk to you when you're using those words. So I'm just going to wait here and you tell me whenever you're ready to talk to me in a way I can hear, I'm right here for you. So in that moment, we just go with it and, and do it because the work happens afterwards. What about those moments when you've really reached your limit? So we're spending a lot of time with our kids at the yeah. moment, a lot of us are anyway, whether that was during the pandemic when schools were closed or school holidays, whatever it might be, we're spending a lot of time with our kids. And I have realised, this is probably stating the bleeding obvious, but I have realised that when I am working or socializing and doing other things I have so much more patience for them uh, but the frequency uh, they're getting irritated because we're on top of each other and then all of a sudden I'm just not coping with the tantrums I mean what do you do in that moment as an adult we want to do the right thing by our kids but riding out the storm with them because it's the fifth storm of the morning is just you just can't can't quite get yourself there what do you do in that moment so that you're not damaging them but you're also protecting yourself yeah so there's two things the first is if they've just hit your last nerve and you've lost it 
that it doesn't hurt them sometimes to see the impact of what they're doing on you. And it doesn't hurt them to see that you are human and that you also have big emotions because this is an opportunity for you to also model humility and self-compassion and kindness and how to reconnect after a rupture. What's important if you lose it is to repair the rupture as soon as you can. And it's things like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that we yelled. I'm sorry that I yelled. That's what you'll want to say, actually, is I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but you say, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry I yelled. That must have been scary for you or whatever is appropriate for your child. Um, I want to talk. I want to, I want to work on, on getting better at that. Um, do you want to talk to me about what's happened and we can talk about how to do it better next time? But I'm really sorry. Um, do you want to cuddle? Do you want to whatever it is? Now, if we can stop it just before that moment, so before we've exploded, if there's a way that you can walk away and it's a micro moment where you can walk away for long enough to breathe, you won't feel like it in the moment, but breathing actually relaxes the emotional brain. It's really powerful. A strong, deep breath or just going for a walk, that also relaxes the emotional brain. So that, and you only need to relax the emotional brain enough for you to go back in there and do what you need to do if it's just before that. So it doesn't mean you still won't feel frustrated or angry or furious, but it will just relax the emotional brain enough for you to do what you need to do. So don't underestimate the value of those micro breaks. And it might be just texting a friend saying, man, I can't deal with this today or a phone call or a walk or breathing or, or listening to something on your playlist that you know will calm you. And it only has to be for just a quick break, as long as they're safe, just a quick break. And you can um, do that by saying, I, can, I feel like I'm starting to get riled up too. I'm just going to go over here for a moment and then I'll come back so they don't feel like it's um, a timeout for them or an abandonment or anything like that, which they probably, you know, they won't necessarily feel like that anyway, but it's just to flag what's happening for you. And it's also modelling how you can actually take breaks. And this is something they can do before they get to that point where it's, where it's big. Well, that was my final question because I'm going to take that with me tomorrow as we get ready for school. <laughs> <laughs> They won't notice me having time out. They're too busy throwing things around the room. So um, <laughs> yeah. thank you so it's much. A, it's a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for talking about this. It's a big one. Mine are 17 and 22 now. And I tell you, we've been through the stage where they're several times a day and it gets, it does get better. It gets better. It gets better. Just have to wait till they're 22. <laughs> or 30. Having me. Thanks, Karen. That's Karen Young, parenting educator and founder of Hey Sigmund. Feed Play Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.